0: ago that the first academic paper was written about a new discovery, particularly a phobia that was beginning to rear its ugly head in growing and ever more alarming numbers. It was the year 2000 when the first academic study was done on the subject of FOMO. FOMO, the fear of missing out. And since 2000, the preoccupation and the growth of FOMO has been absolutely staggering. The tsunami of social media that has washed over our country and really the world has only added to this as people check in and look at what their friends are doing and see where they are and where they vacation and what friends they may be with that they're not getting to be a part of, and this FOMO continues to grow unabated. It's interesting because recent scientific studies estimate that 70% of adults in the developed world wrestle with FOMO, that, that gnawing sense that something somewhere is happening with someone that we're not included in. And it's something that afflicts younger people even more so. Younger men, interestingly enough, more than anybody else. But nobody is immune to the fear of missing out. I think it's something that is particularly rampant in the neighborhoods, and the communities that you and I live in and work in and go to school in every single day. It's the thing that causes us to be scattered hither and yon to Always add one more thing to the calendar. It's that thing that causes us to sign our kids up for 24 extracurricular activities for the entire semester. It is a rampant, rampant thing. And as we continue this series that we started last weekend, the year of living fearlessly, I thought FOMO is something that we ought to attack head on. So right now with New Year's passion and enthusiasm, I want you to tell your neighbor, don't have no FOMO. Now, the first paper was written 15 years ago. But I I have a sneaky suspicion suspicion that FOMO is not nearly that recent a phenomenon. As a matter of fact, I believe that FOMO goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity. I don't think that social media created FOMO. I think that social media just kind of crystallizes and intensifies that which is already there the good the bad and the ugly but FOMO is really and truly a part of the human condition ever since the almost very beginning if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 you see the Bible record for us God's creative process and how he began and he separated day and night and heaven and earth and water and land. And then he began creating and there were the trees of the field and the plants and then fish of the sea, birds of the air, beasts of the field. But then there was something different on day six. On day six, creation took a hard right. Creation got different because on day six, God said, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image and the bible tells us that humanity is different than the rest of creation all of creation was good when god made it it all flowed out of his creative command but there was something different about humanity as i said you know there, there's something incredibly valuable about the environment and the the plants and the trees and and there's certainly something amazing about all of the creative order in in the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea. I mean, they're incredibly tasty. But there's there's really something going on with people that's a game changer. When God made humanity, when he made man and woman, he said, let us make man and woman in our image. And in that creative burst, suddenly relationship took on a whole new dynamic, that that God and people interacted completely openly and freely with nothing hidden, no holds barred until, until Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible records what theologians refer to as the fall of humanity, the fall of man when man and woman succumbed to temptation, that that first temptation that the Bible records for us, there in the Garden of Eden, we know that Satan approached Eve, the wife, and suggested to her that maybe she was missing out, that that maybe there was something more than what God had offered them. And and there's this incredible exchange that the Bible records in Genesis chapter 3 and if you'll remember, God had given Adam and Eve everything that they needed for life and love and joy and peace and power. They, they, they walked with God in the cool of the evening, the Bible intimates, and, and there was nothing that they missed, but he said, there's, there's one tree in the center of the garden that I want you to stay away from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me ask you a quick Bible trivia question. What was the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Just say it out loud from across the distance here. What was the fruit? Wrong. We don't know. The Bible never says what that fruit was. I believe personally it was avocado. But we don't know either avocado or bell pepper. Bell pepper is a demonic fruit that mosquitoes feed on, but that, that's free of charge that's just a little aside you can take home today but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil God said that's what I want you to stay away from and I think before we get into this you can understand why that is you, you can understand I think it's important to not just look at the superficial surface but but think about why would the knowledge of tree and e- the knowledge of good and evil be a bad thing how many of you are parents in the house let me see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad Okay, you know what it's like—the the first time that, that your child tells you a lie. You know, you know what that's like as a parent. Like you're like, dude, I am so much smarter than you. I saw this coming. I know you're lying. But then there's also that thing as a parent where you're like, oh, that that loss of innocence, or, or maybe the first time they come home from school and they've they've heard a word or they've they've heard something about the way people interact romantically and you have to answer a question that you had no idea was coming in first grade and and you're like whoa and, and you hear tires screeching and window breaking in the background of your mind but there, there's that thing as a parent we're like oh man it's that loss of innocence I I don't want to tell them too much because they're not ready for it yet but at the same time they've opened the door and I, I think That might be what God felt like when when Adam and Eve fell to temptation there in the Garden of Eden. And Satan approached Eve. Now the Bible records and says that Satan approached Eve in the form of a serpent, of a snake. But make no mistake about it, it was Satan who, who tempted Eve. It's Satan who tempts you and me. Satan, we know from other parts of the Bible, was originally the worship leader in heaven. Satan was the one who led worship in heaven and rebelled against God's authority and God's sovereignty. And Satan wanted to sit on the throne and because nobody else has the throne of God, he was cast out of heaven with everybody that had conspired with him. And ever since that moment, he has set himself against everything that God is for. And so when you understand that Humanity occupies a different place in God's economy than the rest of his creation. It makes sense that humanity, like you and me, would have a target on our back where Satan is concerned. And Satan went after Adam and Eve. And he, whatever you want to believe about Satan, just know that he's really good at his job. He's a bad guy, but he is a highly skilled tactician. And he opened the door to temptation with Eve like he does with you and me. And he just... Just asked a question. He said, Eve, you know, did, did God really say, Don't eat off of that tree of the knowledge of good? Did God really say that? Come on, Eve. By the way, you look great today. Is that have you lost some weight? I mean, he he was really laying it on thick. And, and Eve initially, look at what she said. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. She said, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. She she knew what was right and wrong. She knew what was true and false. But she said, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God did say, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, it's not because that tree was, was poisonous to touch. It wasn't a a physical poison, it was a a spiritual poison. It was an emotional, a psychological, a a life poison because of that loss of innocence. And of course we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, that that Eve, man, she and Satan continued in the conversation. And I've noticed in my own life, when I get in trouble, when I give in to temptation... It's when I let the conversation last longer than it should. Eve would have been just fine if she had stopped right there and just said, no, God said. Just, just, God said. Tell your neighbor right now, God said. said. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. God said. She said, no, he, he did say, don't, don't eat from that tree. And then Satan went to the very heart of humanity. And he said, Eve, 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 girl, girlfriend. It's not that you're going to die if you eat from that tree. God doesn't, it's not that you're going to die. Think about God's perspective. He doesn't want you to be like him. God knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like God. And all of a sudden, Eve's eyes got real big. Ooh, now that's something I can get behind. Be like God. And ever since then, you and I have dealt with the spiritual inheritance of Adam and Eve's wanting to be like God god at the very least we want to be in our own lives little g gods it's something that we spend a lifetime being broken of hopefully prayerfully lovingly think about it the second you were born the second you were born all you had to do was go eh. and man people came running are you hungry are you thirsty? Are you dirty? Are you sleepy? How can I help? And stop that eh-ing. That's what happened. And we we learn very, very early on, man, this is awesome. I just go eh, and stuff happens. People jump. You know, what I've noticed in 24 years of marriage is that I have to do a little bit more than eh to get my wife Julie to jump. As a matter of fact, if I just go, eh, or I'm hungry, feed me, things don't go well in the Richard household. So we learn other mechanisms, we, we, we learn other schemes, and we learn how to get what we want, but ultimately it's about what we want, because we like sitting on the throne, we like being Like God, if not a God. Now, Of course, we wouldn't admit that in polite company, but those are the facts, Jack. And it goes back to right here. Look at what happens in verse 6. After Eve continues the conversation longer than she should have with Satan. Verse 6 says, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. FOMO. Genesis chapter 3. The fear of missing out. She wanted the wisdom. She believed the lie of Satan over the promise of God. God said, I'll give you everything you need to have the life you were created for. All right, just stay away from that over there. That's where the term forbidden fruit syndrome comes from. The forbidden fruit. If I told you right now, you know what? Whatever you do for lunch today do not enjoy a bowl of homemade bluebell vanilla don't enjoy that some of you would go oh yeah well i'm going home right now i made a resolution 11 days ago but because you just told me not to do it i'm going home to that's forbidden fruit that that's that's just kind of part of who we are ever since genesis chapter Three, it's that fear of missing out. FOMO. But God in his infinite wisdom has given us an amazing, amazing tool to fight FOMO. The tool to fight FOMO is the ability, is the courage to say no. No. Like some of you right now in this very moment are thinking i should check my facebook i know you are don't you don't have to raise your hand or whatever some of you are putting your phone up right now but you're thinking i I need to check and see how many likes my instagram post got this morning of my fearless 30 breakfast (laughs) my sugar-free bacon my eggs and 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 that horrible avocado that they made me put on my plate as well i'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna post it and right now you're thinking I'm, I need how many likes do I have? like me? No is the answer to FOMO. No is how you fight FOMO. Just say no. How do you keep your schedule sane as a family as a single adult? No. No. Hey, do y'all have plans next Friday night? Can you come over? No. Really, what are you doing? I mean, we'd love to have dinner with y'all. No. 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 I'm sorry, no. You're so sweet, no. The answer to FOMO is Mo No. Just, just, mo, no. Just, just say. Just, just, everybody say no with me. No. Now, now, do it again. On the count of three, let's say it together. And, and really kind of, like, from your diaphragm. One, two, three. No. Doesn't that feel good? Thank you. I like that. That's good. It it just, it feels liberating. Mom, Dad. Can I play on four travel teams this spring? No. (laughs) Mom, Dad. No. Can I go up? No. But they're going to be, no. No. Just, just no. Now, that sounds, that sounds great. And, and and some of them think, we need to do this. We we should talk about this at lunch. But to say no is is only part of it. As I began praying about and preparing for this series of sermons, I realized it's not just about FOMO. It's not just about being scattered and and too busy and, and living life on the back of a fire truck. There's actually something beneath that superficial level. Something behind the calendar on my iPhone. There's there's something that God has there because if it's if FOMO is this central to the human condition, then you can know somewhere in the Bible God addresses it. God has an antidote. God has a remedy for FOMO. It's too big a deal. It's too universal. And he does. God's answer to FOMO is not only Mono. God's answer is about calling. God's answer to our fear of missing out is the calling he places on every single life. Particularly of a person who comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about calling it's about calling, it's about calling. Now when I say the word calling, I know a lot of people, a lot of people think I'm talking about a call to ministry. Well, a pastor has a calling, or a missionary is called to the mission field, blah, 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 and those things are true, but they, they grossly underestimate the power of calling in the life of every single person created by God. There's a calling on every life, or God would not have created him or her. And to get at this this morning, I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. He's right after the book of Isaiah. There, there are a couple of the what's known as the major prophets. That doesn't mean they're more important or they were better writers than the minor prophets. It just means there was, their books are longer. And in Jeremiah 29. Verse 11 and following, God explains calling. Now, as you look this up in your Bible or on your phone, let me give you just a little context. It's true that in Jeremiah 29, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. He's not talking to an individual about their personal calling. But Israel, remember, is God's chosen, God's called people. And so the dynamics that work with Israel as a whole Hold true for you and me individually, for, for people and persons of faith. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, in those days when you pray, I will listen if you look for me wholeheartedly you will find me you will you know back in the day when our family had a landline telephone almost without fail it would ring right at dinner time how many of y'all know that dynamic that's always a fun time And, and I started kind of to get irritated with this, but then I decided to start having fun with it. And I had a I had a strategy. Like a lot of people, I go by a name that is not my first name, Mac that I go by is short for McLean. That's my middle name, my mother's maiden name, and I go by Mac, my grandfather was called Mac, he was Big Mac, I'm Little Mac. and he was five fit six in his Nakona cowboy boots, but I passed him up in about 6th grade, but he held on to the title of Big Mac because he was there first. Now, my first name is Thomas. I was named after my dad, and my dad went by Tom, and they didn't want two Toms running around the house, so I became Mac, and he stayed Tom, and that's kind of stuck. So when somebody would call our house and say the following, may I please speak to Thomas Richard? ho, ho, ho. I was so far ahead of the game, I knew where they were going, and I always asked this question, may I ask, who's calling? And then they would launch into their script, you know, to get me to donate or to buy or to sign up or whatever they wanted to get done that day, but I knew, all I had to do was say, may I ask, who's calling? Because if somebody said, may I speak to Thomas Richard, I knew we weren't close, I knew that I was not going to be getting a birthday card from them. May I ask, who's calling? Is the exact question you and I need to ask as we fight FOMO. But our question differs a little bit because we're not asking who is calling. We're asking the question, whose calling is it? And Jeremiah 29 answers that question. Verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you. That tells us, first and foremost, that a calling is God-conceived. A calling is God-conceived, and therefore it has a substantial weight to it. There's an incredible weight and gravity attached to it. To the calling God has for your life. Because it starts with him. God has this plan. It's not you that gets to make it up. I don't get to make up the calling. God has this plan. So it is a God-conceived calling. Second thing you need to know about a calling is that it is actually a humanly received thing. A calling is humanly received. So God conceives it, but we have the responsibility to receive it, to go after it. I think one of the great tragedies of our life, of our culture, is that so many of us have no idea what our calling is. And and so today, just briefly, but I think so importantly, I want to give you some guard, some, some mileposts, some mile markers and, and guideposts to discern what your calling is. And I want to challenge you, starting today and throughout this next week, however long it takes, to figure out what your calling is, to figure out why God made you, what, what's, the, what's the point, what's the purpose of your life. Now, if you've been around our church any time at all, it won't surprise you to know that we have an acrostic for this. So, we're going to make this a little interactive this morning. So, it, I'm using the word see. I want you to take out a piece, take out the program that you got, and just write this down because you, you may be totally chill and cool and not struggling with FOMO today, but you will at some point. And no matter where you are in the fight against FOMO, you have a calling on your life. God has conceived it, and He's calling you to receive it, to do something with it. Write the words call, the letters C A L L down the side of your page. The first one, give me a C. C is a concern. What concerns you? What, what are the things that, that stir you? Maybe, maybe what is a, is a hurt that you've come out of, a wound that you've endured in the past that God can use to point you toward where He wants to use you? I like the way one pastor put it years ago. Your misery will be your ministry. That's a fact. Whatever pain you've come out of, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will use it to comfort other people. That's how He operates. So your, your concern. what's your concern? A, give me an A. That was terrible. This is the 11 o'clock service. y'all been drinking coffee since early this morning. Give me an A. Your aptitude. What do you do well? What are your talents? What are your gifts? What are the things that you're, you're naturally drawn to? I think a lot of times people feel like a calling from God is going to be something that's going to drag them into something they're no good at. God didn't operate like that. He gave you the talents and the strengths that you have as well as allowing you to have the weaknesses that you have. So what are, you apt to, what are, you, what are your aptitudes? Your talents? If you are a follower of Christ... What are your spiritual gifts? What are the things that you have been endowed by God to do well because of your relationship with Christ? A is your aptitude. L, give me an L. Love. What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? I began to sense God's call on my life into vocational ministry when I was in high school. I started thinking, what would I love to do no matter what? I thought about coaching. I would have enjoyed coaching, but I I knew that there were some things about that that were kind of contradictory to what I felt called to. And being a part of the Bride of Christ and serving and leading in the church was the only thing I could think that I would love to do no matter what every single day of my life. That was kind of how God started to stir that in me. What do you love to do? Again, God's not going to call you to something that makes you miserable. Well, if I if I start praying about a call, then I may have to sell everything and move to Bora Bora. Well, if that's what God wants you to do, you're going to love it. You're going to have a passion for Bora Bora that you can't even imagine or describe. Well, we got one more L. And this is the most important part of the whole deal. Give me an L. Is a leading. This is a leading from God. This requires, this demands that you go to God and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? What is your call on my life? It requires personal interaction. It requires personal submission. To God Almighty. But when you understand who God is, that word submission isn't nearly as frightening as it is to any place else. You're submitting to the only one who loves you perfectly and unconditionally. The only one who knows beyond a shadow of a doubt why you were created and what you'll be best at and where you will find the most peace. I think peace is a monster, monster road sign towards your calling. My calling. I, I've noticed in my own life, I get the most peace where I give God the most praise. I, that's just kind of how it works. Wherever I honor God, wherever I glorify Him the most in my life, that's where I'm at the most peace. This is calling. But you and I have a responsibility to find it. To receive it. Vaclav Havel is probably not a household name to all American households, but he is a significant figure in world history. He was a Czechoslovakian author, a poet, a writer, essayist, and playwright, and he actually was the first president of Czechoslovakia when they came out from underneath soviet communism but prior to being the president of czechoslovakia he was central to the resistance against soviet communism as a matter of fact he was so central that he did hard time in a soviet prison camp at hard labor for his temerity to resist the state And it was while he was in prison that he began writing a series of letters to his wife, Olga. They were later compiled and published as a book. But in these letters to Olga, Vaclav Havel begins to explore life. He he figures out fairly early on that he can handle the physical rigors of prison, but it's the spiritual, it's the personal, it's the... Psychological challenges that the prison presents, and, and he begins to, to ask, What's the meaning of life? And if I can find the meaning of life in prison, then I can use that pretty much anywhere else. And as he writes these letters to Olga, Havel comes to a really significant conclusion, and that is that responsibility is the key to human identity. responsibility is the key to human identity i think that's incredibly important for those of us who are parents that the responsibility we can give our kids the earlier on will help them figure out their identity and who god's created them to be whole nother sermon series but i just thought i'd drop that in there right here this is what Vaclav Havel writes from prison he says the secret of man is the secret of his responsibility now hobble grew up in communist Czechoslovakia he grew up in a Roman Catholic family but underneath a totalitarian atheist regime and so spiritually speaking he had a lot going on he couldn't quite get to a relational God he couldn't quite get there philosophically but he said His sense of responsibility begged a question that if the secret of man is the secret of responsibility, then to whom are we responsible? And he writes, it must be to someone eternal, someone who through himself makes me eternal as well. Someone to whom I relate entirely and for whom ultimately I would do everything. At the same time, the someone addresses me directly and personally. From a Czechoslovakian prison, that'll preach. Because it's true that our calling is God-conceived and humanly received. But there's, a, there's another element that we're missing. And that is that a calling is relationally achieved. It's one thing for God to conceive it. It's another one for us to receive it. But at some point, we better achieve it. We better fulfill it and live it out. And the only way that happens is in relationship with God and other people. We were not created to live life and fulfill our calling in a vacuum. We have to do this relationally. God says, I, I know the plans I have, for you, I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you or to give you disaster. And, and then he says, you will find me when you seek me wholeheartedly wholeheartedly you can't do anything wholeheartedly not relationally and in relationship with God everything has purpose when we understand our calling when we understand our point of existence that makes the no that much easier it makes the no that much more confident because that request, that demand may be coming from some place or someone outside the point of God's calling on our lives. And when that happens, no, no, just, just no to that because I'm saying yes to the call that God's placed on my life. You will find me, God says, when you seek me wholeheartedly. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. Because I believe with everything I have, in this sacred moment, I want to ask everybody if you would to please not move or stir for any reason and be a distraction to what God's trying to do. Because right now God's calling. Somebody into that relationship. He's moving and stirring. And if you are that person that he's calling into relationship. Right now. We are so excited for you. This is, this is the greatest moment of your life. To know that God loves you, he created you, and he has called you into relationship with him for a purpose greater than anything you could ask or imagine. If you're here today and you've never responded to that call, then we want to give you the opportunity to do just that. To pray just right where you're sitting, a prayer of response. The calling is God-conceived, but we respond in his grace to it. And so I invite you to pray just right where you're sitting, just talking to God. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I know you're calling me. I know this calling is yours, and so I receive it. And in response, I give you my life. I will follow you with everything I've got from this moment forward. Jesus, I confess my sin. In order to claim and receive your forgiveness. to follow you from this moment forward. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another moment, I want to just say a couple of things. If you just prayed that prayer, then this was the most important moment of your life. And we want to be any help That we can be. If you live here in Austin, we want to be your family of faith, a home place to grow in this faith, to discover your calling, to achieve and to live it out. And so, if we can help do that, we would love to. When you came in this morning, you got a a program. you'll open that up you'll notice that inside there's a a thing that we call a connect card it says just connect grow and serve and if you'll fill that card out and indicate there I'm committing my life to Christ today and then tear it off at the perforation just before you leave in just a moment make a brief personal connection with maybe one of our ushers or, or a greeter Or as you walk out kind of the big lobby out here, there's a little awning underneath the front door that just says LHC.org and you can just hand it to somebody and just say, hey, today was my day. And that'll start the conversation. That'll start us being able to help any way that we can. But as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just another moment, If you just prayed to step into that relationship with Christ, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand up high over your head for a brief moment to stamp and to mark this moment in your mind and in your heart. Because it's the most important moment you'll ever have. And it's from this moment that God will build every other in your life. And just know that as a church, we honor that. We celebrate that in your life. So as you put your hands down, we'll put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.